The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon K. Okay, good evening, everybody. I'd like to welcome Katie Grabowski from Colorado. Katie is the Colorado Mutual UFO Network, MUFON's state director. She's the lead for MUFON's archive, founder of the Colorado UFO Paranormal Research Group. Katie presents regularly to UFO and paranormal groups and holds a Bachelor of Science degree in visual communications. Katie also has a new book out called Letters of Love and Light. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this all day. And yes, it's day here in Colorado. I was just telling Simon it's in between uh, lunchtime and picking my son up from school. So we're one thirty in the afternoon here. So good evening to all of you out there. Yes. Well, you know, it's this podcast goes near and far, like between Spain, Ireland, America. So we have all different time zones. So don't worry about that. We have to accommodate everybody. <laughs> So it's great. It's great to have you on the show. A few, I mean, we have all types of guests. We have musicians, actors, you know, paranormal researchers we had a few weeks ago. So I always like to try and keep it interesting and get uh, interesting guests. And I, I came across your name and I thought, okay, this lady looks really interesting and she has a new book. So I have to hear her story. So how are you? Because, you know, obviously in America with everything with COVID, how, how is the situation for you there? Um, you know, it's starting to slowly open back up where we uh, just recently are open to 25% capacity in restaurants. Kids went back to school this Monday. Um, we, my personal family, we've been very fortunate. My husband owns an automotive repair shop in Denver. So he's sort of been essential because he does a lot of the Excel energy and power companies and all that. He services their vehicles and the news. Um, he's also a race car driver. Um, but and he's been able to race during all this and wow interesting yeah i'm home most of the time writing and doing my research so other than having archives shut down because i'm a person who loves to go into the archives and dig for documents and those are still shut down um we can't get into those so i'm anxiously awaiting the reopening of archives other than that we're doing very well my actually my mom who's in an assisted living she's 90 years old she just received her first um, vaccine today so I'm happy she got her first round. So she'll get two rounds of vaccines. So when did they start rolling out the vaccines in Colorado? Uh, about two, three weeks ago. Yeah. And they're doing the essential workers, like the you know people, the doctors and paramedics and, you know, all that. So are the people, how are the people, are they skeptical about the vaccine or, you know, because there's the naysayers and there's the people who think it's part of some big conspiracy. So how do you feel the people are reacting to it? I feel like if you're in a high risk category, they're anxious to get it. I'm happy my mom has gotten it only because, you know, we can't see my mom. We can't visit her. So um, I'm anxious that she has it. Um, I know... Um, I'm on the fence about it. I'm a little leery personally, but I'm a little younger and healthy and I'm not a high risk person. So it's definitely a mixed bag. Definitely. Um, so there are some anxiously awaiting and some that are hesitant. 
Yeah, I, I actually interviewed my, my last podcast guest. When I interviewed him, he had just gotten COVID, him and his wife or his partner. And he wasn't feeling the effects too bad. You know, he, he was getting it a little bit. But I know myself and my wife had it last March, like so a good while ago. But we had seven or eight days of, of effects and we were lucky we got over it then. But yeah, I I'm I mean I'm a little on the fence about the vaccine. I I do believe that if you need it and if if it helps everybody in the long run, I believe for sure um, it's a good thing. But of course, anything that's rushed and new, we have to be careful. So, but you know, it's kind of like this fifty-fifty situation, isn't it? You know, you do, you don't take it and then you get sick, or you do take it and you might have effects. Right. Exactly. That's exactly where I am, and I happy you and your wife are okay and you got through it okay. I mean, most everybody I've known that have had it have mild symptoms, but I do know a couple that have passed from COVID. So, you know, it is a real thing. It is to be taken seriously. So I'm like you. I think maybe a year or two out when I feel a little more comfortable, I'll get the vaccine. Maybe I'll get it beforehand. It just depends. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And uh, tell us about your family. You said your husband is a race car driver. How many kids do you have? I have five. <laughs> I have five, five kids and one grandson. Um, yeah, wow. I, I uh, got married pretty close out of high school and had my first son right out of high school. So I was young and um, he is now in his early 30s. So I have him ranging from 30 down to 18. I have four wow. boys and a daughter. Four boys and a daughter. My daughter is at the wow. University wow. of Denver. Denver. Yeah, she's getting her environmental science degree. And I have an unusual family. My oldest son is a musician like you. Um, he actually did a okay. European tour. He's in a band called Horizon Chaos. It's pretty oh, heavy yeah. metal. Yeah, I actually went into the mosh yeah. pit and got slammed yeah. against the wall. I'm like, check yeah, that yeah, off yeah, my yeah. bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's my musician. He's the one that has my grandson. Um, and then my second oldest son, Vincent, he is a poker player and plays professional poker. And then my middle wow. son, Jesse, um, works with his dad and works on the race car. They're dragsters and funny cars. I was wondering when you said, like, what type, was it like indie racing or was it? So it's dragsters and funny cars. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. drag racing, the quarter mile. So right now he's in a dragster. So my son works with him at the shop and works on the dragster. And my daughter's at the university and my son's a senior in high school. So all my kids, they're all into so many different things. And it just keeps me interested. And, and then mom does this crazy paranormal UFO stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I mean, that that's kind of you, you have to have it's good to have open families, you know, like my family's a bit like that. I have one who's a singer, one who's an actress, one who's a Reiki and, and meditative, th uh, like holistic therapist. And then I'm a musician and podcaster. So it's great. I think families that have all these talents and creativity running through them and they all have the outlets, it's better. It's better than all being, for example, you know, just golfers. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody's a golfer. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Tell us about like your early life. So did you were you raised in Colorado? Are you from there? No, um, I was born in Illinois. Um, I had a pretty traumatic childhood, which I think plays a part in okay. all of the paranormal experiences that I've had. Um, my half brother um, had some mental um, issues. They said skits, this was in the early 60s, so they didn't have autism back there, but he struggled, I believe, had aut autistic tendencies, but they diagnosed him schizophrenic. 
Um, and he unfortunately was an arsonist. So he burnt down a house that we, we bought before we moved into it. We were just moving furniture in. He burnt down that house in Wisconsin. How old was he when he burnt the house down? Um, he, he started being an arsonist around 13, 14 years old. And unfortunately, it carried over. So at the age of five, I moved out to Colorado. My mom worked for United Airlines as a computer operator. Um, and so we moved out to Colorado to kind of start fresh. And unfortunately, in 1973, my brother burnt our house down to the ground. Um, yeah. And we had to press charges and he went into the state hospital. Um, my parents divorced at that time as well. I think my dad, he, my dad has been gone for a long time. He passed in 1996, but he kind of dealt with things. Um, I think, you know, turning to the alcohol and it just was yeah. a very tumultuous, bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's that, that was a very common thing, wasn't it? Because, um, that time, I suppose I, I don't want to generalize and say men, but the majority of men who were the breadwinners kind of uh, couldn't deal with the pressure. So alcohol or gambling or other things was the way out. And and it, that's, even if you had a good family, that could happen. But when you had a family with children having problems and, you know, like, like you said with your brother, that can, you know, amplify everything, can't it? And it's interesting. My dad hung out at this bar in Littleton, Colorado called the Family Bar. And I was down actually digging for articles of our house fire um, because I was really little when this happened. And um, yeah. I found out um, before he went into the state hospital, there was a fire started at the family bar where my dad, he would play piano and sing. Um, my dad was an oh. old crooner, you know, he loved to sing. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and my, my brother's MO was kind of starting fires and trash cans. And this fire at the bar went unsolved. Um, and I know for I know for a hundred percent that had to have been my brother. It's the same MO. It was right after he burned our house. He was trying to get back at your dad. I think he was. I think he had mental instabilities, and I think he was angry. I mean, my mom wasn't his biological mom, and so um, his his biological mom was out of the picture. He was then raised by my grandparents for a short time. Um, my grandfather, by the way, in Wisconsin, he was a Freemason and had a significant UFO sighting over Lake Como, wow. Wisconsin. Yeah, an oblong-shaped craft that was um, investigated by J. Allen Hynek. I'm still searching for that wow. report. Um, but then after that, you know, my mom came into the picture. And I just think Gary, his name was Gary. He's also passed. I think Gary had, um, I think it was a perfect mix of all sorts of different. Um, and, and unfortunately, he turned to arson too. He never hurt anybody. Nobody was ever killed. But property was damaged. Unfortunately, it's just, you know, it's funny you're saying that because the other night I was watching uh, that Jack Nicholson movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and my wife had never seen it. And I said, oh, you have to watch this movie. And, of course, you know, like the, the whole thing of um, treating people with mental deficiencies and mental illnesses and giving people lobotomies. I mean, this was the thing. Sometimes people weren't as bad as the treatment they gave them so that time for your brother going in and they probably misdiagnosed them completely and then they it's if if they don't treat you in a normal way then it's hard to be normal after whatever normal is right and unfortunately i mean in the 60s and 70s the way at least in the united states they would institutionalize people with mental illnesses and now it's kind of swung the opposite way and there's really no help for people with mental illnesses. And that's why you see people living in tents on the street and turning to drug yeah. addiction and self-medication. So 
it's 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 a big issue. Um, and unfortunately for my brother, he ended up being institutionalized, where he never could succeed at a normal life, even later in his life. He he just could never. Like, how many brothers and sisters did you have? Um, it was just my half brother Gary, and then my older sister Chris. Oh, okay. So my first paranormal experience, I was probably around age six or seven. It was right after my my dad was out of the picture, my brother was put away, and I started seeing shadow figures in my room. Shadow figures as a result of light coming into the room, or just shadows in a dark shadow dark figures room? at the foot of my bed, um, or okay. inside my doorway. I would see them peeking around. Um, so that was terrifying. So that was sort of my first memory of having like paranormal things happen to me personally. And did did you live did you live in the countryside or in the city or suburbs? Or... I lived in the suburbs. We lived in the suburbs of Denver, about twenty minutes outside of Denver. Um, it was just my mom, my older sister, and I at that time. Um, my mom was busy trying to keep a roof over our heads, um, working at the uh, United, so she would often work nights and whatnot. Um, yeah. but w when the really interesting stuff started, um, was when I was nine years old, my mom had met a, a man at, at her work and they started seeing each other and he had three boys and the, the, they mm -hmm. bought a ranch. It was a, a big ranch out in Elbert County, Colorado, about 20 minutes, even further out of the suburb. So it was quite a commute to get into work. So him and the bo the two youngest boys stayed with us during the week so they can attend a bigger school district. And that's when all the UFO, cattle mutilations, Sasquatch creatures, paranormal activity, um, all that happened during the years of 1975 to like 1978 in that area. And, you know, I'm 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, and I'm hearing tidbits about yeah. it from the boys when they come back with their mom and my sister and I were out at the ranch a handful of times and we had our own experiences out there. So when I started getting into all this and trying to figure out, you know, what are the shadow figures in my room? What is this paranormal activity? Uh, and then everything that happened on the ranch, um, which I'll get into in a minute on how all that came to be. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? When you started experiencing things, did, did you talk about it openly or did you feel that you would be judged? No, judged. Especially back then, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, all this trauma, yeah. all this trauma is happening. I tried to talk about it, but especially the thing that happened on the ranch, it was very hush hush. I mean, there were police involved, cattle mutilations, and the adults didn't want us to know about it. So we would kind of hear, we'd hear whisperings about it, or we knew something was going on, but they never would talk to us about it. And I think for me, that's why it's such a passion for me now. Because I want answers as to what what was happening, what was going on with all that. It's a it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, whether it's paranormal research into like spirits or entities or UFO things, a lot of people kind of you say, you know, children are more open to these kind of things because their brains are more elastic and they're they don't judge things and dismiss it as something else. So. So maybe, you know, whether it be a ghost or an entity or whether it be a, a grey or a UFO or something, maybe kids can see these things far more openly. And even if it's another dimension that's peeking into our dimension, maybe kids can see these things far easier than an adult can. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I also have kind of a working theory, I guess, 
that um, a lot of, because now that I'm an investigator, a lot of people that I've talked to that have these experience, either paranormal or with UFOs or entities or spirits or, or, or whatnot, have had some turbulence or traumatic things in their, in their past, in their childhoods. And I think for me, especially when you have, let's say you have, like I did, an, uh, an alcoholic father. And I didn't mm. know on any given day if he was going to come in the door happy or angry and yeah. there was going to be a battle or a fight. What does that do to a yes. little kid? You get hyper alert. It's sort of like when you're blind or deaf, other senses are awakened because they have to be because you're in fight. Yeah, or fight yeah, you have to be alert to these little things. And I think somehow that makes you more aware of these uh, the other side, whether it's a paranormal, other dimension, wherever they're coming from, I think we're more yeah. open to that kind of experience, 100%. What would you say then, you know, because obviously then some people can say, oh, well, especially if children or people come from traumatic events, maybe they're, they want to see things or they, their imagination makes them believe because they're trying to escape reality. What do you think about that? Right. No, I think about that all the time. And and just so you know, and, and the people listening know, I'm not a person who goes into something 100% believe. Like, I am a very much mm. a researcher. I love archives. I love documents. I love scientific proof. I, over the years, even with MUFON, I've ebbed and flowed. You, you can ask my husband, I'm like, I don't believe in any of this stuff. That's, ah, ah. And then the next one, well, wait yeah. a minute, this happened. Like, I really need proof. So I have thought about that a lot. Because um, when the house burnt down, I had a of firefighters gave me a little teddy bear, which I still have to this day. And yes, um, I think you go into this, I don't want to say a magical place, but you have to almost to protect yourself. So I've given that a lot of thought. But here's, here's the thing for me. What has turned that around um, for me is knowing that, for example, all the activity that happened on the ranch in Elbert County for, for a long time, for most of my life, I thought it was isolated to just us and the ranch. Come to find out after yeah. I got all the documents and the research, and it, it was not only Elbert County and people in neighboring towns, but I met a gentleman that we had as a guest speaker, and I'll tell you the story here in a minute, but he was having the same activity. So it wasn't just me having it. There were There were hundreds yeah. of people experiencing the same thing. Yeah, it's it's a strange thing. Like I always, I, the thing is for me, I'm really interested in all of this kind of stuff. You know, I watch lots of programs. But the one thing I would call myself a skeptical believer because I watch lots of programs and I go, no, that's you know, there's no conclusive evidence or proof in that because you know, it's kind of like when you meet a person, and you 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 develop this kind of skill of being able to read people and you kind of say this person's very nice or they seem very genuine and another person maybe you realize they're a little fake or they're trying to get something or somewhere so i think sometimes when you hear stories and you you would hear this all the time you have to discern okay this is bullshit or there's no proof in this i, I don't even have to take a step inside the door because and, and for me i think it, it's you know I'm a firm believer in science, but I'm a firm believer in mystery and and the, the things out there we can never understand. But I think you have to try and meet in the middle. And because, you know, the, the unfortunate thing about things in life is no matter what you say, it's like when, when, you know, Galileo and Edison and come up with theories and people ju judge them. And it's hundreds of years later, they say, oh, 
maybe they were right. So unfortunately, until we're being invaded by UFOs, most people will shrug their shoulders at it. No. Right, exactly. And I'm in a funny place because as a MUFON investigator, MUFON is all about the scientific nuts and bolts side of ufology, which I appreciate and I like. I like the research part of it. I, I like looking at it. Um, I, I, you know, we get so many reports of, you know, this thing came in interdimensionally. And, but oh, as a matter of fact, we just got a report of somebody um, just right outside of Denver, which is a really populated place, said, claimed they saw something as big as an aircraft carrier. Well, right. if wow. that's true, then we would have, that would be on the local news. So, you know, you have, you have to discern and talk to the witnesses and really dig deep into what's going on there. Um, another example, um, so really quickly how I got to um, my book, Letters of Love and Light, um, which was a project not about me, the book's not about me. What happened is when I got, so I went, I started in kind of in the paranormal world. I started watching the show Ghost Hunters, you know, Ghost Hunters, yes. with Jason and Grant. And I did a couple of events yes. with my son. We went to the um, St. Augustine Lighthouse in Florida and did an investigation with Steve and Tango. And that was just a lot of fun. And of course, I'm close to the Stanley Hotel. So did a couple investigations yes. at the Stanley. And then all this stuff started creeping in about, well, what was all that in my childhood at the ranch? So I thought, oh, I heard about yeah. MUFON, joined MUFON as an investigator, just to answer questions for my own experiences. And what happened is I came across a book called Hunt for the Skinwalker by George Knapp and Tim yeah. Kellier. And I started reading the yeah. book, yeah. and there's a chapter called Other Hotspots. And in that chapter, they start talking about my family's ranch, my mom's friend and the wife and the sons. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I was, I sat on the living room floor for like two hours. Just, I can't believe it. Cause that was the first time I ever got confirmation other than my elusive childhood memories that that actually took place. And in that book, it says that Dr. Leo Sprinkle was one of the uh, initial investigators on that case. So he lives in Laramie, yeah. Wyoming, which is a state right above Colorado, and he doesn't do internet or anything like that. So I wrote him a letter. He wrote me a letter back. I told him who I was and my connection to the ranch. He said, oh, yeah, I have all the documents from the ranch. So I get in my car and I drive because all of his stuff is at the university archives. And he had seven at the time. He had 72 boxes. There's more boxes down there now. But I started digging through boxes upon boxes upon boxes of letters from people all over the world that had experiences with both paranormal and ufos and i was getting lost in okay. these letters and really quickly after you read hundreds of letters from people you can tell really quickly whether they you know were really genuine and sincere just like you said when you meet somebody you can kind of hear the tone in their letters or if they're kind of like out there a little bit, and so you you had a you had a kind of a yes no maybe pile. And what ended up happening is I got so lost in those letters that I started taking like the juicy parts out of the letters, and I would I organized them into chapters. This took me three and a half years to put this book together. So this book is a tiny little bit about you know it talks about how I came to know Leo and blah blah blah, but mostly yeah. it's excerpts from letters from people around the world. So it's like ET craft descriptions, um, there's sightings, memories or dreams. There's a lot of people who would write letters not knowing if this was a dream they had or, or if they had an abduction experience. And I thought those were fascinating. 
There's a chapter in there about people who claim to channel ETs and the messages they get. And what's fascinating and why I thought this was fascinating is these letters dated back from the 1960s to the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. So you could kind of see the progression of what people were believing or what messages they were receiving. And it just turned into this, this project of love honoring Dr. Leo's lifetime of work. Now, Dr. Leo Sprinkle, he just turned 90. He celebrated his 90th birthday. He uh, is a wonderful man. I was just going to ask you how old he was. So he's 90. Okay. But yeah, he just celebrated his 90th birthday. I think in August. Wow. Yeah. So it was just an honor to do that book. Yeah, I can imagine. And I mean, a a lot of work and a lot of research and and to delve into all of those letters and to find, as you say, the juicy bits, but to find the bits that you say, this this sounds very legitimate. And, you know, and can I ask you just out of curiosity, were most of those cases kind of from America or from other places in the world? They were all over the world. We had Brazil and Australia. And I'm trying to think of Ireland's in the book. Hold on. Let me grab it. Uh, this is what it looks like. <laughs> I don't know if you can see it. Brilliant. I think it's a great idea. And it's really neat, like I said, because you get glimpses of different decades and, and where everybody was. And you get to kind of know Leo Sprinkle and his thoughts. So I open every chapter with a quote. Because Leo not only kept the letters, but he kept his response letters. Because back then, you know, you would type them out and he'd have the copies. Yeah. So he had the copies yeah. of the of his responses. So, it, I mean, I, I could have gone on another five, ten years. A second book, maybe. A second book. Yeah. The next book, I think that's going to be on the ranch. But, yeah, this this was great, and yeah. I enjoyed doing it, and I'm so pretty proud of the outcome. So, tell me, what, like, obviously, you know, the Skinwalker Ranch is very famous, and it's gone through, you know, two or three different owners now. And and I've recently, like, la- I think last year I watched the last, you know, that TV show about the Skinwalker Ranch with Travis Taylor and the, um, the, the and, yeah, and it, it was, I mean, it was interesting, but, you know, I, I don't know if they followed on from it or whatever, but the thing is, what kind of similarities were between the Skinwalker Ranch and the ranch you were on? Oh, so many. Both had Native American connections. Uh, we had, I believe, Cheyenne. They had Ute, Navajo. So they were both uh, Native American connections to the land itself. So I don't know whether the land holds energies. Um, Both had cattle mutilations. Both had paranormal activity. Both had military connections in that the black helicopters, the helicopter phenomenon was something I've really dug into lately. And not only just sightings of these helicopters, but menacing people, chasing young kids, these helicopters would. In the ni- late 1970s, wow. what is that about? Um, both had um, like the strange humming noises and these noises that come from underground. Both had crypto creatures sighted. Um, there were sightings of these unusually large birds out on our ranch, and similar things out at the Skinwalker Ranch. So very, very similar down the line. And you know, I the question is what what was going on then. Why was the activity so heightened at that time? And, you know, I'm not opposed to looking, and I have looked into, was this a military operation? Was this a DARPA experiment? What what was all this? Um, we flew out the undersheriff at the time. Um, he has since passed, but his widow and his son live out in Florida. So 
Uh, me and a couple investigator friends flew out to Florida and did a wonderful interview with them. And she was wonderful. She had a whole binder she took out. You know how wives do. They keep all the articles from back in the time. And she's like, here, take these and copy them. Yeah. I was like, oh, you're kidding. So yeah, um, it's just been amazing. But for me, when I went to the archives in Laramie to get Leo's original investigation on the ranch, there were sketches that were drawn of these ET creatures that were seen out there, along with these Sasquatch Bigfoot creatures that were seen out there. And the ET creature is something I had never seen before. I'm like, well, this doesn't look like anything I've ever seen in movies or anywhere else. So I kind of kept it in my back pocket and I didn't show it to anybody or put it out in the public. Uh, what, what kind of, what kind, like when you, because you mentioned earlier there, the crypto creature and the ET creature, were they, were they similar? Those two creatures are very different. No, very different. The ET creature, and I have a photo in my book, I can show you in a second when I have the comparison, but this, this ET being, which I never personally saw myself, but, but the, the Jack, the person who stayed with my mom and me during the week, his wife and friend witnessed and the oldest son saw this being along with other people in the town. Um, but he had like, it had like a heavy brow, not the big almond eyes like you see on ETs, but, um, big, larger than our eyes, but not as big as the huge ET eyes that you normally see. Tiny mouth, but it had these wrinkles around its mouth and wrinkles on its forehead. But the most unusual thing were these tubes that came out of it. And it, it looked very, um, Almost like amphibious or something. Almost like AI kind of. Yeah, like half human, half right. AI was really interesting. And so um I was the guest speaker at a uh, guest speaker coordinator at the time for our Colorado MUFON group and I had invited a speaker to come in. His name was Sean Bartok, and he had written a book called Flashbacks. And it was about a ranch in um Castle Rock, Colorado, which was not too far from Elbert County, where our family's ranch was. And I'm sitting in the third row watching this presentation, and on the screen pops up drawings that they drew of beings they saw in the early 70s. So this was a few years before our experiences on our ranch. But I couldn't believe the similarities. And for me, when people ask me, like, what's your favorite UFO case or what makes you believe or continue to investigate, it's that. Because I'm like, what are the chances of that? And I don't know if you'd be able to see it, but it, I did include the pictures in the book. Yeah. And so okay. what are the chances of that? And then one day I'm sitting, I'm standing in the grocery store in the line and you know how they have the magazines in the grocery store and there's an issue of popular science yeah. magazine and it was all about AI and they had pictures of AI with these tubes and how, you know, human pic- And I'm like, Oh, that, that to me, that makes sense. Like if you're going to come, to planet Earth from somewhere else, you would almost have to be an AI type of thing to survive. I'm hearing a lot more in the last year or two, you know, about um, people saying that some of these beings that, you know, would visit us would probably be AI to survive and that maybe they're being they're beings that are being controlled by something else because maybe they don't need resources like we do food water and so on but or maybe they're some kind of like robotic machines or something but who who knows i mean it's it's crazy because i mean can i ask you as regards let's say chile chile is one of the kind of the real hot spots in the world is chile more of a hot spot for 
actual sightings of spacecraft or like UAPs, or is it is it also for beings, for extraterrestrial creatures? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question. And that's something I, I'm personally interested in because, of course, I'm interested in the 1970s because that's when I had my experiences. But the more research I do and the more books I read, it seems like the phenomenon tends to change, not only in location, but in types of, you know, whether it's Tic Tacs or just UFOs or UAPs in the sky or landed craft with beans. Now, in Chile, they seem to have a lot of creature type things or sightings of beans or things like that. And why is that? And why why would that change geographically? Why, you know, why would... Yes. Yeah, so to me, that's all a really important question and one that I think needs further investigation. I know there's a lot of people out there trying to do that. Is it the minerals in our rocks? Is it water or hot springs or what is it? Because the, the phenomenon in Elbert County that was so hot and I mean, it, this, this was happening to, like I said, hundreds of people in, in a three, four year span. It's not like that anymore. So, now it seems yeah. like they're having similar activities in Missouri. Why has the phenomenon moved? What caused the phenomenon to move to some other location? You know, and why do we have these waves of sightings? In UFO, we call them, you know, waves, um, where you have multiple yeah, sightings, yeah, in, in a short, short period of time. And why is that happening? These are all questions. And honestly, um, the deeper I get into this field, um, the more questions I have. And, there's a lot of different branches you can investigate, but there's also that piece of people getting, and I mean people mean, meaning like CIA and the government getting involved in UFO groups. I mean, it's well known that happened to MUFON years ago. And why are they interested? You know, why are they, if there was nothing to this, unless they're putting out disinformation. So that's a mystery too. And all that stuff intrigues me. It's like, you know, just like any other mystery, all that stuff's really interesting. And that's something actually that leads me to another question is, you know, the whole idea of Roswell, um, you know, some people believe that Roswell was something that was created by the American government as a propaganda thing for the Russians to, you know, and the whole, like, I remember watching a documentary one time and they were talking about um, when... Uh, UFOs and, you know, alien creatures started appearing on American television. Some people believe that the American military were trying to make people believe in UFOs and aliens so, um, so that if they did see things that they wouldn't be passed along to the Russians who would say, oh, they're testing planes to try and mu muddy the waters, if you know what I mean. A hundred percent that happened. There's no question. There's no question that happened. I think, you know, there's a belief and I, I, the more I learn and the more I read and talk to people, I do believe that something was not only at Roswell, but Aztec and there were several other crashes in 1947 in New Mexico. We were testing the atomic bomb and, and other things out at Faultless and also in Nevada and other places. And there was a huge wave of activity in 1947 and 1948. And I believe that, yes, they, they were back engine, engineering, um, from these craft. I believe that we were testing our own things and yeah, hey, let's go with this UFO thing because yeah, we're testing our own things over Area 51 and out in, um, New Mexico. 
So let's, you know, I think it's both. I think both things were happening at the same time. And and that's the funny thing. A lot of people believe you have to be in one camp or the other. Well, I think it's more complex than that. I think many things could have been going on. And in fact, a few years back, I received um, a case, a MUFON case from a mortician um, that worked at a, uh, he was an embalmer at a mortuary in Denver by Fitzsimmons and Lowry Air Force Base. And there was a body that was held down in this room for decades. Um, he thought there was no body in it. Um, and he pulled what he called his caper. And at the time, he didn't put ET together, but it was a child-sized casket. So I've been investigating this whole Roswell body into Denver. I think one of the bodies may have come to Denver. And that's been something I've been re- researching now for a couple of years. I have visited the Eisenhower Library in Kansas. And I'm trying to pull documents to try and really see what happened. Well, you know, there's synchronicities in life. I don't know how you feel about synchronicities, but life is a mysterious, wondrous place. And my mom was yeah. um, not in an assisted living at the time. She was in an independent senior living center. And they asked me to do a, a program on UFOs yeah. 101. So I was presenting to the nice folks there at the home on UFOs 101. And at the end, I just started talking to some of the residents that live there. And I was telling them about this Roswell body case that I'm investigating and that a judge had a hold on this body. Um, and uh, they're like, you know, judge, I don't want to say the name yet, but Judge Rod, I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the judge. And they're like, oh, his widow is on the fifth floor. Do you want me to go get her? No. Hey. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yes. So I've had two interviews with her. And there's a there's a definite Mason connection behind this that I don't think a lot of people know about when it comes to um, people making decisions at the top. Um, so yeah, this has been another investigation that I've been working heavily on, and and I'm not ready to roll it out to the public yet until I have all my documents yeah, yeah. in the line, and I can say, okay, this is this is what it looks like happened because I know in the UFO world, just like anywhere else. If you go out with something and it's not substantiated, you're going to be attacked and, and blah, blah, blah. so, you know, I'm working on that. And here's a question, right? Because obviously, you know, America and Europe are similar in some ways, but different in many other ways. So a lot of people, you know, I've through through my years, people have said, what, why are there so many more sightings in America than in Europe? And or, or why, why is it? And then some people would say, oh, well, you know, maybe the Americans want to see it so badly and they want it, you know, this kind of thing. So like we said, Chile has a very high number. I think Italy has a very high number of UFO sightings and, you know, so why do you, do you think is it because of mainstream media and the news channels and the, the tabloids in America? And do you, why do you think like when people think of UFOs, they think of America? Well, first of all, I didn't know that people thought of America when they thought of UFOs. So that's good to know. <laughs> um, I mean, if you look at mainstream media, so for example, growing up, you know, most of the TV programs you watch would, and to do, especially to do with UFOs, would come from America. 
Um, like there wasn't there wasn't too many UFO programs from the BBC or from ITV or you know the English channels. So I think everything we would have watched would have been you know National Geographic, Discovery Channel, History Channel, everything like that. And of course, then obviously Roswell and Alien movies. So you know America kind of has the hold on the UFO phenomena phenomena in that way. Right. No, that, that's really interesting. And I wonder, you know, because to me, the phenomenon started right after World War II, right? With the food fighters and Germany mm. and the United States and, and uh, the orbs and then the Roswell crash and back engineering technology. Yeah. And I'm wondering if like in, in England and London and all that um, with the crown, maybe they did have information, but they didn't make it available to the public. I would love it. I mean, to me, to me, a hotspot, Brazil. I mean, you have, you know, Chile and Brazil and South America is heavily steeped in UFO activity and, but also in history and culture with, you know, all the native ruins and all that stuff. And I'm wondering if it just doesn't make it out to the mainstream, you know, the television shows and the. It could be also maybe to do with the Catholic Church because, I mean, for, for, for years, I know, for example, in Ireland, the Catholic Church ruled everything and even in Italy, you know, and, and like in England, it's the Protestant Church mainly. But maybe the the whole the Vatican and Rome, maybe they have, a, you know, huge information on sightings. But because because when you imagine, imagine like hundreds of years ago. If a villager or somebody in a town saw something, they probably went to the priest and said, I saw this thing. And he, he was probably reported to, you know, things were reported more to him than the police, maybe. So maybe the church gained a lot of information, but stashed it away. Absolutely. It wasn't just till recently that they even wanted to acknowledge that there could be life out there in the universe. So that could, mm. that could have a huge part, part of it. Yeah. That always that always amazes me because you know now, you know, I, one theory I kind of have in my head and is that obviously if the Germans had a lot of you know high technology, it you know and the Nazis and the Americans got a hold of it the military, I mean of course you know it, it it's no secret that after World War Two the the military and uh, you know the aeronautical technology in the United States accelerated so whether that was from you know the the um, the German scientists who helped the American government but you have to wonder where where did the Germans get it from because that could be the epicenter of a lot of things maybe the Germans got their technology from somewhere else and maybe then, and eventually, it was passed along to the Americans. The the German history of UFOs is very fascinating, and Project Paperclip, and you know, bringing yes. yeah, <laughs> uh, all that is fascinating. What they were built, I believe, it's my belief anyway, personally, that they were ahead of the game. I mean, you have all the interesting information out of Antarctica. Things are happening out of there. Mm. What was going on with Antarctica? Um, so. You know, maybe the Americans, you know, through paperclip brought the German scientists over. We got information. I don't know. Some people believe there's the ET groups that there's been deals made with Eisenhower and who knows what. And so, I mean, was it? I believe there was a um, Roswell type crash in Germany. So maybe mm -hmm. they were privy to some back engineering first. And it's, it's really fascinating. And like I said, in this field, 
Now, I started in paranormal, but the more you get into the UFO field, you kind of have to pick your interests. I have friends that are really interested in the orb orb phenomenon, for example, or I have a good friend who's into the triangular craft phenomenon and so on and so Mm. forth because this, you know, and I have people who are interested in Antarctica and the Germans and all that connection to our, you know, nuclear bases where they, you know, you have sightings of them shutting down our nukes. Which personally, I hope they have the ability to do that if we're stupid enough to blow up our planet. Yeah, because because the thing is that it's been really interesting how a lot of sightings are close to military bases and to to nuclear facilities like White Sands and these missile testing. So you know maybe that answers some of the question about why America has such a high sightings. Maybe who, there is something or some kind of entity that is waiting to prevent something catastrophic happening with those nuclear weapons. I hope so. I hope so. You know, Americans, they can be huh? <laughs> a little reckless. So they're like, they're, they're, they're the reckless ones over there. We need to be really watching those guys. <laughs> I think they're, I think man in general is reckless. I don't just think it's Americans, you know, but, but, you know, because, but it's funny, isn't it? Because even when you consider, uh, what was it Newsham Forest? You know, the I think it was it Newsham in England, where the the famous L- Lewisham, Lewisham, wasn't it? Lewisham Forest, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that that was a very famous case in the UK, but again, close to a military base. So you have to wonder: Are they keeping tabs on what the military are doing? And and even recently, with that whole gimbal tape and the Tic Tacs. And uh, and uh, that was close to San Diego, wasn't it? I think. The interesting thing about the Nimitz, the Nimitz is, I think, if not the one of the most highly technologically advanced ships out there for the United States, as far as nuclear weapons and technology and that. And maybe the ETs would have a special interest in what do what are you guys doing on this Nimitz? I mean, it, yeah. you know, it's, it's a fascinating question. And it's it's kind of coincidental because. Even around the world, whether it be Italy or Chile or whatever, I mean, more often than not, there is some link to sightings and military bases. Now, you know, I'm sure you get asked this question a lot that, you know, when people say maybe it's all military testing, maybe it's a way to conceal that. So, you know, maybe we'll never know. Is it something that's keeping tabs on the military or is it the military that are testing their own equipment? Well, interestingly enough, as I was digging through letters for um, this book about Leo Sprinkle, um, they're in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and it's not a very well-known case, but it's in the book. Um, There's a lot of um, correspondence in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is pretty close to Laramie, maybe a 30-minute drive-ish. Anyway, um, there's a military base there called Francis Warren. And I want to say, I don't know the exact years, unfortunately. I want to say it was in the mid early 60s. There were several, I mean, not one or two people, but several people over an eight-hour period who had multiple encounters. And it was not their own, so much so that they had an official statement brought out. Um, and I, I was able to dig up some of the documents from that. And it's fascinating to read. Um, because this was seen by multiple people, not only in Cheyenne, Wyoming, but in Laramie and other parts of Wyoming, of multiple craft. And and at the time, they were one of the biggest bases of nuclear weapons, again. Um, and this was not anything we had. This was not our own. This was not Germany. This wasn't China coming in. I mean, this is something that was unexplained. 
So yes, yes. I I mean, yeah. It's it's a it's a story that maybe one day will reveal itself in that sense. And can I ask you? Could could you tell us about uh, a case or you know something that you always look back on as being one of your more like crazier cases or something that you'll always remember that you you baffled you but you still believe that was happening right other than the one i just mentioned earlier on the yeah, yeah. the et yeah. of course that's my yeah. favorite one because that's me personally and and, and yeah. you know, not that i doubt everybody else but just like you said you watch tv shows or movies and you're like well can i really believe that other than that i would have to say within my mufon cases Something a lot of people, it's a misconception on UFO sightings. I think a lot of people believe that you see most UFOs at night, lights in the sky, mm. or half of my unknown cases in MUFON, and I, I, I don't have very many. I would say 10% of my cases are unknown. So the rest I've been able to identify. We do things like flight radar 24 where we see aircraft and we look at Stellarium and satellites and of course the elon musk the starlink satellites which have been mm. people have been reporting those left and right because it's just a big string of satellites going across so most things we can identify whether they're bugs or birds in the camera you know, people look at their photos later and i didn't see this it's a ufo and you know since i have my degree in graphic design i'm able to go in and play with the photos a little bit and there's been times i can actually see the little insects wings in their head and i'm like no that's an insect but Half of my cases are daytime cases. And one right. in particular that I really like, and I'm a little biased, I have to say, because it was out in Douglas County, which is close to Elbert County, where the ranch was. This woman was going home. Um, actually, no, 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 I've picked that back. She was driving to work. Um, it was daylight. She sees something which she thought were pelicans, and it was kind of moving in weird ways. So she pulls her car over, and she's watching what she thought were birds, but then all of a sudden she realizes, no, it, no, it's not. It came in closer. It hovered there for a while. It was sort of shape-shifting. It was, according to her, it was a good mile or two off in the distance. It wasn't super close. It wasn't like right on the side of the road or anything. But she's watching this thing. And as she's watching it, two F-14s come in from Buckley, lower than anything she's ever seen before. They come right at this shape-shifting object she's seen. And she said it was like a special effects movie camera where it just, it just dissipated right in front of her eyes. The one jet flew to the north, went flew to the east, and then it was just gone. So that was a pretty cool case. The witness was very credible. Um, she's lived there all her life. She knows the jet. She's never seen anything like that before. So that one was pretty wow. cool. Yeah. And I had a similar case of somebody. Uh, it was a gentleman who just picked his young son up from school. They're getting out of the car. They live out. Out in the foothills of Colorado, we have two Lockheed air facilities. Um, one is yeah. Lockheed Space, which is right in the foothills. And this was really close to Lockheed Space. Um, but um, so I really investigated, could that have been something Lockheed was doing or whatever? But the son gets out of the car. You know, he is seven, eight years old. Hey, dad, what's that in the sky? And the dad's like, oh, an airplane. And the little boy goes, no, dad, not the airplane, that. And they're wow. at treetop level. They're at treetop level were seven bright white orb type things and they were pretty close proximity. So when you're witness, when you're researching a case, you know, distance is important because you can see something far off in the distance and misidentify it. But this was pretty close to them, close enough where they were 100% positive. This was not a balloons. These were not birds. 
these were, and they would move in unison and then hover, 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 move, yeah. hover, and then one by one, they kind of just went away. Because, you know, I think for sure, if you have orbs and lights, it's harder. It, you know, if you see orbs and lights in the sky and they're kind of moving in, in uh, parallel or in unison, then, you know, maybe it's some kind of craft. But when they move away and at different angles, you're like, oh, what what does that? Because recently my, my sister took a picture, a video, and it was of the starlings, the birds, you know. And, the, you know, when they do this murmuration, so they were all... On the on the fields and like I mean thousands of them and then what happened? Oh, your dog! They were they were um, they were then they took off, but they take off in all these kind of weird shapes and you know and to from a far away distance. I'm sure some people say, "What is that?" <laughs> What's yeah. your dog's name? Oh, this is Captain. He's a husky. This is my son's dog. Hello, Captain. He be He's a big dog, isn't he? Say hello, hello Captain. 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 Hello. Hello, Captain. Captain. <laughs> oh, he's lovely. Thank you. He's so big. Yeah, he he wants to be on my lap. He thinks he's a small dog. <laughs> he, yeah, my dog does the same. My dog will probably come up now and be like, "Why are you whistling?" And I want to be here too. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Those, those orbs and shape shape shifting things. Oh, there you are. Okay. Um. Yeah, they're they're hard to investigate. That's why in Mufon we have the we have the category. <laughs> He's going to sing. He says, I love you. Maybe Captain is a, you, a, an alien and he's like, don't reveal the secrets. No, but we have the category um, unknown other because if it looks like a structured craft, it would go in as an unknown UAP or craft. And then we have unknown other for unidentified orbs or things that shape shift and you know. For sure, yeah, because I I mean, that's the beautiful thing about nature. There's so many things that we sometimes in nature we can't explain. And as an investigator, you probably have to say, that kind of sounds like, you know, something that happens at sunset or murmurations or, or, you know, other things. So I'm sure that can be difficult because maybe the person is saying, no, 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 I'm telling you, it was definitely not a, a human or an earthly object. And you're thinking, yeah, but it kind of sounds like that other thing. Right. And that that's for me why MUFON is a good balance for me because I'm pretty open minded and I've had paranormal experiences and I've seen shadow figures in my room and I've had the experience on the Elbert County Ranch, um, which in UFO circles, because the um, owners of the ranch didn't want their identity, so they never sought fame or fortune or anything like that. It was known as the Clearview Ranch. But anyway, so yeah. I believe in that kind of thing because I've experienced it. At the same time, I'm a logical person who wants proof in the scientific part of it. And MUFON is a good balance for me that way. Because they are very much a, a scientifically driven proof, you know, you need to take these sightings, listen to the witness with an open mind, but at the same time, really try and find out what it is they're seeing. You know, there was some cases we'd get, and it took me a while to catch on, but people in Denver, in downtown Denver, they'd see these these lights, and they would be falling from the sky, kind of like this, going down. Right. And they just see the lights. Yeah. And oh, it's a UFO. We can't explain it. What it turned out to be. And now every time I look, was there a Denver Bronco game, you know, football? They had the sky jumper, yeah. jumpers come in and they had flames on their feet. And so you would just oh, see the, yeah. the flames on their feet going down. And I go, oh, wait, no, that's yeah. just the sky jumpers going down. <laughs> 
So you really have to discern. Right. And, and it's not that I don't believe in the paranormal, because I do, because I've experienced it. But yeah. I also know there's a nuts and bolts aspect to it. So it's a, it's a hard balance. And I try to stay balanced and grounded in that way. You know? Can I ask you, obviously, when you're doing an investigation, is it difficult when you meet people who are very skeptical? It's like, because obviously, if you want to ask some questions and you say, I'm from MUFON or, you know, if you're investigating through them, sometimes can you meet resistance from people? Less and less. That's changing. Um, I think okay. this new generation coming in is very open. I mean, it's it's getting more difficult to find people that aren't open to the idea of life out in the universe. Now, whether they believe right. that they visited our planet is a whole other thing. Um, but for me personally, the people I interview and I've dealt with, I mean, they come to you with an experience that they've had. So I don't see that too often. And the nice thing about getting a little older in age is um, you stop caring so much about what other people think. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. oh, I don't know what well, to tell I mean, you. This is what's happened to me. And I'm just trying to go out there and talk to other people who've had this same things happen to them and try to figure out, well, what was that? You know, same with the, the ghost. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. And the thing is, like, if you see something or you experience something or and some and, you know, you say to somebody, well, look, you mightn't believe me, but I know I saw it and I believe in it and I experienced it. If I can find a logical answer or explanation, fine. And if if you can show me in any way that it wasn't true, uh, that's okay. But until and somebody can, like, I think there's a strong thing for somebody want to prove that it doesn't exist, but then somebody want to prove that it does. So you have to be in the middle. And the thing about it is, there's, you know, we have to be stupid to be, to think that we are the only planet with people on it in the whole universe, in the whole galaxy, because it, they mightn't be like us. But for sure, I mean, there's something out there, whether it's hostile, whether it's friendly, whether it's a lizard on a rock, who knows? But the point is that we're, we're very, we'd be very close minded to think that it's only us. Right. It would be really sad if it was only us. And I, as you were talking, yeah. I'm just thinking about my own kids. I have a couple of kids, a couple of my sons that really don't yeah. don't believe too much in this um or right. the paranormal or ghosts or anything else they're they're kind of, my dad my dad was a kind of guy who'd always say well when you die you're dirt oh. you know and so yeah. <laughs> and and what how i feel about that is is i'm like well first of all that's sad but number two wait until you have your own experiences and that's all you could tell yeah. somebody if they haven't experienced it then you can't convince them otherwise until they experience something for themselves. And, and a whole other piece yeah. of this, we talk about paranormal and we talk about UFOs, but there, there's a whole other piece of this that I've experienced a lot in my life, which are synchronicities and signs, um, which are just mind-blowing. How could that have happened? And to me, uh, I think there's more going on um, with us in a spiritual kind of way than we could ever imagine. Um, so, you know, like, I think we're all energy. I think and you can't kill energy. Energy never dies. And what happens after is a whole other topic, which we could spend another two hours talking about. Here's a question for you, because, you know, obviously, with this 180 day announcement from NASA and the government, the American government, and I think I think that will be around March sometime or maybe early summer. Uh, what do you think that's all about? Do you think that's like 
like just some kind of propaganda or do you think it, they brought it out something to do with Trump or what do you think is happening? I think it's a collaboration of entities, the CIA. I think, I think there's, first of all, I've come to believe after several years that our military and our government, they probably know a little bit more about the phenomenon than we do in the general public. Everybody's waiting for a disclosure, but I don't think they have yeah. all the answers. Otherwise, they wouldn't be right. infiltrating and trying to get information from sources. So I think right now it's a matter of different organizations, let's say, having bits of information here, bits of information here. So I think it's an, a collaborative effort to pull the data together collectively. And I don't think it will be disclosed to the public anytime soon. I think it's for them internally no. to get a handle on what's going on and to get a handle on, well, okay, the uh, Navy just came out with these videos and, you know, trying to get control maybe of some of that, some of the information that is being put out to the general public. That's what I believe it is there for, to kind of collaboratively gather the data and the information that these different entities have. Does that make sense? I, I agree with you because I think what's happening is that, you know, whether like, you know, a lot of people kind of are starting to believe that, if there is some entity out there that maybe the governments are working with them and, you know, you hear so much now people saying about, you know, is there, has there actually been a base on the moon for all these years and are, are some governments collaborating with whatever is out there and have been collaborating. So maybe, maybe it's a thing where they'll release some information, but I don't think they're going to release anything too significant. Like when they released the whole Nimitz thing and the gimbal and everything, it was a little teaser and a little, it, but it was, it was something we'd seen before, but it, the difference was this time it was coming from the government or from those channels. So it made it seem more credible. But again, that could be some sort of propaganda to keep us away from something else. Right. And call me skeptical, but I'm always, I'm always a little hesitant and skeptical of the information that's coming out. I, I'm not, I don't want to believe everything they're saying just on its face value. Yeah. I'm always one that's like, okay, <laughs> not that I think there's bad things behind everything. I hate to be that kind of a down, Debbie Doubter, but um, what, what is the reason yeah. that they're disclosing this now? Like, I don't believe, and it's funny to me, even with the Nimitz and the Gimbal and the Go Fast and the Navy and all this information that's coming out, it just, you know, we still as humans get up, have to take care of our families, go to work, do what we do. And a lot of people don't seem to care much about it. I'm like, wait a minute, they're, they're no. saying that there's something to this. And so I, I think until they actually come down and say hello and whatever, It'll always be that way, even if they disclosed everything we, the, you know, CIA, the government, all the different I don't think people will, all right, so there's life out there. This is what we know. And on they go with their daily jobs. That's what I think will happen. Yeah. And one thing I'm sure, you, you know, I'm sure you've noticed this in your investigations, but I know for me, because like I'm involved with music and with the podcast and everything. And, you know, I post stuff on Instagram and, and TikTok and stuff. But what I can't help noticing on TikTok, there are so many videos about sightings and these things. And for me, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, OK, that's manipulated or that's real or is that real? So I think 
even though this generation are more open-minded, I think people are willing to manipulate and doctor images and videos to get attention. And that's going to be the sad part of it because now we're not going to know what's real anymore. And that's the hard part as an investigator because we do get hoaxes. And, uh, you know, actually MUFON's photo analyst team is just so backlogged to really analyze a lot of these photos and videos that are coming in. And really, you can't trust anything anymore. I mean, you've, you've seen these manipulations of, you know, they have somebody speaking, somebody famous, Barack Obama or something, and they can make yeah. a whole speech that they didn't even give. He's a whole deep fake, yes. So how do you believe anything yeah. anymore? You know, that's why I am such a firm believer in, and I tell my witnesses this all the time, you know you. You have to trust your gut, your instinct, your heart, your own experiences, and it's so easy to doubt. It's so easy to doubt things that have happened to you. Oh, you know, I see the shadow figure out of what, you know, you're testing your eyes and you're doing all this thing. But you really have to go by your own experiences just for that reason because there's just so much out there that can be faked and manipulated yeah yeah exactly can i ask you i i, I put a, a thing on my notes here about the sky watch you, you do this the sky watch thing don't you where where you you go out with people and and like look at the skies and and does that do you still do that or you do that now um there is a place here near san luis valley that has a sky watch you're not going to believe this, but I've never been there personally. A lot of my friends have. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. no, I, I, ha I haven't been there. And I know there's like the C-SETI and calling in the ETs. And you know, uh, communicating with the craft or the lights in the sky with the lasers and all of that. What, what do you think about all of that? It's funny you brought this up because we just had an FI training last night. And this very thing was a topic of the discussion. Um, for MUFON, right. the scientific study, we don't. Um, we want to look at data and facts and scientific-based things that we can find on radar. If we go through all of those processes and we still don't have a, a explanation for whatever craft or light we saw, then it will go in as an unknown. But as far as the calling in and the meditation, there's a place for that. And it's not that I don't believe it, but I don't actively do it or practice it and I don't have groups. However, to be all, we have um, property up in the mountains and we're going to build our retirement home up in the Rocky Mountains. And yeah, so, nice. yeah, so we had, we have a cabin up there and I had an FI training up there. You know, we, we actually had like a, you know, if a Roswell crash happens, this is, we're going to do the grid and we're going to get the yeah. dirt and beat the military and just okay. have fun. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and so yeah. that night we did a sky watch, you know, and we were like, okay, we're going to try and call them in and, you know, you see a flash. I'm sure it was just a tumbling um, satellite. So I think it was just coincidence that we just happened to see a flash. Yeah. Then. Um, so I think, you know, and then there's the whole question of some people believe some people can see the craft and others can't. What is that about? Same with abduction. Some yeah. people believe certain people or, you know, RH negatives or whatever get abducted and these people don't. Yeah. And, and there's there's all that. Um you know, I don't know what to say about it. I think it all needs to be explored and keep an open mind about it. Maybe that's where we'll find the answers. Ultimately, I don't know. Because the thing is, I'm hearing this word a lot lately when I'm hearing anything to do with, you know, 2020 and 2021 and aliens and UFOs. I'm hearing the word laboratory a lot. And what I mean by that, I'm hearing the people saying that that really the Earth is just a laboratory for 
these other creatures and it has been for millions of years and so on and i mean it it would be terrible to to if that was the truth and, and in the end we were just puppets and we were you know we we could survive but it would change mankind if we felt like we were being controlled or if it was a matrix or whatever what what do you think about that kind of thing do you, that like that's that's we do you think that we're too strong as humans to be controlled by something else if it's out there i think some of us might might be i don't know if everybody is i mm. i think yeah i i think that there is a possibility that ET came and messed with our um, genetics, our DNA in the past. Yeah. Um, I, you know, through meditations and Dr. Leo Sprinkle was a hypnotist and he would hypnotize contactees. And a lot of them, that was what would come through is that for whatever reason, they needed this part of what we have to offer, maybe creativity, you know, they've lost, they've become so mechanical and streamlined that they've lost the ability to have art and music and and maybe they want some yeah. of that back. You know what I'm saying? That individuality. We're the hippie children. <laughs> the hippie children, right? And they want some of that back. Maybe. Who knows? I mean, anything, anything is possible. You know, I think once people look towards the heavens and they said, you know, God is controlling everything and and people believed one man or one being could control us. But it's funny if you said to somebody now, maybe there's one alien being or uh, millions of them that are controlling us. People are like, don't be crazy. And you're like, well, I just said the same thing as you said in a different way. So, I mean, who knows? I, I think the way I think about that kind of thing, if they have been doing it for millions of years, I don't think we're going to find out on at the end of May or April. <laughs> Probably not. If it is a laboratory, it will just keep going. Going. I think so, and and that's something I came to terms with because you know going through, uh, you know, Doctor Leo Sprinkle's lifetime of work, you know, five decades of his life spent on trying to answer questions, and now he's ninety, and he might get to the end of his life, and he might not have answers. And, and so I asked him point blank, I'm like Leo. You know, what do you think about that? And I'm like, why am I even doing this when I'm not going to have answers to what happened? And he said, you know, it's not about that. It's about the people you meet. It's, it's about I get to meet Simon, you know. It's yes. about the yes. whole journey of everything. So for me, that that's just as important as trying to find the answers. So. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the point. You'd, we don't have to be wrong or right. And it is all about the journey. And, you know, it's not like, I think, unfortunately, when you look at a lot of these TV programs with, you know, alien experts and U ufologists and so on, in some ways, there's maybe a little bit of a battle between somebody's theories. And it's like the way scientists used to be, whether it was Nikola Tesla or Edison. I mean, there, there is a kind of a war between them to discover things first or, or to prove my theory is correct. So that can lead to sometimes truths being hidden or exaggerated. So, I mean, I think we have to kind of work together more. That's the idea, I think, isn't it? Yeah, that is, that's the whole point. That's kind of the point of this book. This isn't a book about, you know, facts and yes, this is blah, blah, blah. This is to look into people's journeys and their own experiences and, and decide for yourself, like whether you believe their story or you don't, or if you can relate to it. For me, it's about relating to other people that have gone through similar things I have. I'm seeking that out because yeah. it's such a mystery for me. Yeah. So to me, that that's what the yeah. journey is about. It's not being right or wrong or, 
oh, I'm sure it's because no. of power lines. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Yeah. It's it's working together. It's yeah. collaborating. And yeah. And it's a great title too, Let Letters of Love and Light. You know, it's a great title. I'm going to let you go in a second. I don't want to keep you all day now. Uh, but I mean, it's been really interesting. And, uh, you know, I could talk to you about this for days. But we will have you on the show again for sure in a few months or, you know, sometime soon. And we can delve further into kind of some of your stories and some of your experiences. Because for me, I, I, even even if this never went out to an, an audience, I'd love to hear it. So I'm sure lots of other people are like me that be curious to hear your stories, you know. I'm just going to ask you, you know, just to finish up. Um, what kind of, you know, for you this year now in 2021, to do obviously with your, your work and even your own life, what's kind of your aspirations or ambitions this year? What would you like to achieve? Well, this year, my goals, I just got an exciting call out of um, New York. I have a good friend who is a MUFON investigator out of New York in, in a small community out of New York City. In Pine Bush, they're doing a UFO museum and they're going to dedicate a wing to MUFON, so I'm hoping to be on that team of people to kind of help get that rolling. Um, I'm excited to go to the symposium to meet people. You know, I'm kind of, not that I'm new in this field, but I'm just sort of getting out there with this new, this new book I have to go to different events and to get out there and talk with people and continue investigating. I've started my second book, High Strangeness on a Colorado Ranch, which will, cause this book doesn't wow. really touch on any of this. This is, a, this is about Dr. Leo Sprinkle. That book will be about my sister and mine, all the experiences out there and all the research I've done on that. You know, the newspaper articles I found, the, the um, interviews that I've conducted of people that had their own experiences out there. So I'm going to be really working on that project, which I don't know. After this book, it's when you get to the end, you're like, oh, this is so much work. What was it? Well, I don't even know if I want to do but I'm going to. Because you come to a point, and this is the thing, I'm not out there to sell books or make, and gosh knows. Even if I get the money back to pay my editor, you don't make money writing books. For me, yeah. it's about getting no. the information out there. Because you get to a point where you investigate and investigate and you go to archives and you get this information. And then you're like, well, now what do I do with it? I have all this information, but I need to get it out to people so they can relate and experience and, and tell me about their experiences. And Next time when I'm on, I want to hear if you've ever seen a UFO or anybody you know have seen a UFO. No, I know, of course. Well, 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 well. The thing is, the thing is, I'll answer the first question. I've never seen a UFO, but I mean, I've experienced one or two strange things. But um, maybe my skeptical believer head put it down to something else. I don't know. But uh, no, I mean, I, I'd in the future or whenever, right after this podcast, maybe. Who knows? If it ever happens, I'm open to it. As for other people, I know I'm not so sure, but I know people have experienced. See, it's funny in Ireland. It wasn't so much UFOs. We've experienced lots of the Ireland is very like mythical and there's lots of legends and fairies and this kind of stuff. So it, it's been a bit different. But now it, it, it's funny you mentioned about the UFOs because I read yesterday that in 2020, the number of UFO sightings in Northern Ireland grew significantly. So maybe maybe it's it's more it's happening more and more in other places too. So I don't know. But like I said, uh, we're definitely going to have you on again and we can open all those questions and all those doors, you know. Well, a funny, interesting story about fairies and fairy lights. So I'd love to talk to you about that. And recently I just had my DNA done on Ancestry. 
And I was surprised at the Brilliant. results because I always thought I always thought it was Danish Norwegian. It turns out it's forty percent Norwegian, twenty five percent Swedish, and then I have some English, and then I have Irish, Scottish, and Wales. And so wow. I looked at my Irish. I was like, "What part of it?" Because they can pinpoint it. It's Northern Ireland. So funny that there's UFO sightings yes. in Northern Ireland. So have you have you been to Ireland yet? That is other is Sweden. Because I was, I want to, I know where the cemetery is of my ancestors, which is in um, yeah. Norway. So Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Ireland are all on my top. So I hopefully in the next few years we'll get out there. And I definitely want to go to the yeah. AFU in Sweden. So I met Klaus Spahn at a, a symposium last year, and he has the biggest collection of UFO and paranormal collection almost in the world. And he's there in Sweden. So that's on the top of my list as well. Well, and your name, your name, Grabowski, is that Polish or Czech or? I was a Nelson. So I was a S-O-N. Okay. I was a Nelson. But um, that's my husband. And he always thought he was Polish. But it looks like he um, is, um, oh, is it Switzerland? He, he, so on oh. the on the ancestry pie, mine's like I have big, big pieces of pie. He's from a lot of different yeah. places. <laughs> so right. the Grabowski, I from think, is over. Polish. Yeah, he's from all over. But I think the Grabowski is Polish. Ah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yes, we're, we don't know where we're from. Because, you know, in the future, we're not going to be saying I'm 25% uh, Irish or whatever. We're going to say I'm 20% Mars and 15% Uranus and so on. We, because we'll find out we're not from Earth at all. <laughs> well, I got some Orion, a little of the Pleiades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the aliens will be like, you're very small-minded people. You're not. You're, Ireland is only a stop-off point for you. You came from further afield. So, so listen, Katie, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking to you and very interesting. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad, as you said, the synchronicity. I saw your name and I saw it and I thought this looks like it'll be a good guest. And I was right. And I'm, I'm really glad. And I, I wish you the best of luck with your book. And we will post the links and we will plug it. And we look forward to having you on again in the future. So thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm glad you found my name out there. I was wondering how you found me. So I'm happy for that. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I look forward to talking to you more in the future. Thank you. Katie Grabowski, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. That was Katie Grabowski. And she told us some interesting stories. And we definitely would love to have Katie on in the future to tell us some more interesting stories. And I hope you really enjoyed it. Thank you, Katie. So on to next week's guest. Next week, we have Mr. Paul Kagannon, and he's from Clare Galway. Paul Kagannon is a coach and a coach educator, and he's a creator of the Carver Framework. He has a particular interest in youth sports coaching. He also has a new book out called Be the Best You Can Be in Sport. So that should be interesting and we can find out a lot about the new methods in coaching and what's changing in the world of sport. We look forward to that and we look forward to having you along to join us. So thank you very much for being here and once again stay safe and take care guys. Thank you very much. Bye bye.